0: You have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Book of Judges in the Old Testament. Judges chapter four is where we're going to be. And while you're finding that, uh, just want to uh, announce our women's Wednesday Night Bible study. Uh, we'll be kicking off next month in September and so if you're interested in that uh, Wednesday night Bible study we'll be getting you more information about that I believe there was a group text that went out to women's ministry Um, and so uh, there's a sign up on the welcome center you can sign up and order your book there for that Uh, also Wednesday night services have resumed Uh, started a a really awesome Bible study this past weekend here in the sanctuary uh, on anxiety and so if you have anxiety or stress or worry uh, we're going through a great Bible study by Max Licato called Anxious for Nothing. We'd love to have you join us. We're starting week two. Uh, it's not too late to catch up. If you miss week one, you know, it's fine. You can get caught up. It's, it's not, uh, not that much trouble at all, and it's a great Bible study. Well, we're in week three of this series that we're doing from the book of Judges. And if you've ever read or you've ever studied the book of Judges, when I said, you know, we're doing a series out of the book of Judges, you probably kind of raised your eyebrow and went, wow. Uh, where are we going? And yeah, there's some crazy stuff, uh, some weird stuff in Judges. We're, we're going to see that uh, again today. And, and what we're doing is in this series is we're basically looking at the ups and downs of the nation of Israel. We're seeing them, you know, on their spiritual highs. We're seeing them at their spiritual lows. Uh, and so this, this book of Judges is just filled with stories basically showing the history of that. And so the reason we're doing this is because I believe, and I've told you, I believe that every single one of us can relate to Israel uh, and the the children of God back in the old time in the Old Testament because if we're perfectly honest, we're not at our best every single day when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. We have our ups, we have our downs, we have our highs, we have our lows. You know, I said, you know, some days you feel like you're a super Christian and the next day you're even wondering if God's going to let you into heaven, right? And I mean, so... You know, if we're all honest, we, we have those days. And so I believe that there's a lot that uh, we can learn from the struggles uh, that we see Israel going through. And so that's why I believe it's relevant. As crazy as the stories are, there's some awesome lessons to be learned. And we've been looking at the lessons and kind of picking those out the last couple of weeks. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're seeing in this also how God uses... Just some ordinary people, right? Just ordinary folks to do extraordinary things. And this morning, the next judge uh, or leader that God calls out that we're going to be introduced to here in uh, Judges chapter 4 to help the Israelites is Deborah, all right? And you may notice by the name Deborah that she's a female, All right. She's a female judge, a female leader that God has placed in a leadership position over the nation of Israel. Okay? So let's pick up her story this morning, starting in chapter 4. And I'm just going to hit the highlights of some of these verses for the sake of time, but it's still a lot of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or we will have uh, it on the screen for you this morning as well. Start in verse 1, chapter 4. It says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud, the left-handed dude, was dead. And if you missed last week, just catch up. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, all right, now this is an important character in the story today. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron. And if you remember from week one, I told you that these iron chariots that they had, these chariots that were fitted in with iron would have been like modern-day tanks. Okay, They can mow down dozens of foot soldiers at any given time, which was what Israel had. Uh, It was all that Israel had. Uh, And so they had cruelly oppressed the Israelites. It says here, for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Verse 6, she sent for Barak and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men. I will lead Sisera into your hands. But Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Verse 11 says, Now Heber the Canite had left the other Canites and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanonim near Kadesh. So we're talking about Deborah and Barak, right? And this imminent battle that is about to take place between Barak's troops, the nation of Israel, and the troops under the leadership of Sisera. And now, out of nowhere, it seems like the writer just kind of changes the subject, (laughs) He digresses, you know, here to tell us about some dude and his wife that uh, must not have been able to get along with their neighbors. And so they pack up their stuff in their tent and they move out to the country, right, where they would have no neighbors. But you're going to see in just a minute that this isn't just some random detail that's plugged in here. Like we talked about, when we see something like this in scripture, there is a absolute good reason for it. Last week was the reference to the fact that Ehud was a left-handed guy and how important that was into all that playing out the way it did. Well, this week we see that they have moved to the country, right? Hebrew uh, and his wife Jael. Uh, so now we kind of get back to the story. So Deborah directs Barak and his army to this area about, by Mount Tabor, uh, verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. All right, And this area that they went down to there by Mount Tabor, we also need to understand this about that, is that this area was a dried up river basin, Okay, which is another important detail that we need to know as we go forward. Verse 15, At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. And So we learn on over in in chapter 5, as you continue to read here through the book of Judges, we find out the reason that Sisera had to run away on foot, right? Instead of escaping in one of his tanks, one of his iron chariots, right? It says that he fled by foot. And so the reason that we find later that it happened that way, that he had to flee by foot, is because of this. This huge rainstorm happened while all this was going on. And the river basin flooded, right? And, and so don't miss this. These 900 chariots of iron that we talked about in week wo- one that looked undefeatable, looked like an enemy that can never be taken, an enemy that can never be conquered. These 900 chariots here all got stuck in the mud, all right? So they're all stuck in the mud. And what's even more remarkable about this is that it happened. During a dry season when it would never have rained, right? This was kind of like, I'll give you an example of what this would be like. This would be like it's snowing in Arkansas in July, all right? So an incredible event. God has actually shown them a miracle in this rainstorm, and, and so the enemy was you know, annihilated without even a single blow before it even started because the chariots were stuck. And like we talked about in week one, just because the enemy looks unbeatable, just because the enemy looks so strong, don't ever underestimate your God. Never underestimate what God can do. It may look like, you know, the unthinkable, the un, uh, undefeatable uh, enemy or or issue going on in your life but never underestimate what God can do or what God is doing leading up to uh, the victory Sisera had uh, this huge advantage with these iron chariots huge advantage but God did a miracle and turned 900 chariots into boat anchors right? 900 chariots into dead weight so Sisera is running for his life now he's fleeing on foot Verse 17 tells us Sisera meanwhile fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. All right? Remember this random couple from earlier that had all of a sudden moved to the country? Just so happens their tent is located at the very place where Sisera happens to be making his great escape. Listen, folks, one, one lesson uh, real quickly that we can get from this. You may not understand why God has you where you're at. You may not understand why God has put you in this job or in this situation or why God has moved you to Faulkner County or, or, or you know, whatever. You may not understand why God moved you where he did, but pay attention because it's a part of his plan. More than likely, it's a part of his plan because like we learned last week, God will put opportunities in front of you that are too big to miss, right? Verse 18 says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Isn't that sweet of her? All right, this evil, this evil leader, this bad guy comes and she invites him in and, 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 you know, gives him some milk and cookies and a blankie. And, you know, he's, he's had his milk and he wraps up in his blanket and out he goes. <laughs> out he goes. And here's where the story goes, PG-13. I told you before we started this series, send your kids to children's church. Verse 21, Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Did they really have to add that last part? And this my friends is from the original language the original Hebrew where we get our term she hit the nail on the head. <laughs> so you learned something at church today. Huh? That is not true. <laughs> but they they do say that after this happened she walked outside her tent raised her arms to the sky and said nailed it. <clears throat> But I don't I don't believe that either, so it's not in the Bible, but I'm kidding. I'm sorry if my humor offends you, but I just think the Bible is funny. Uh, some of you need to loosen up. Uh, but it's a crazy story. I mean, is it not? I mean, it's not, it, I, I'm going to guarantee you none of you were taught this story in Sunday school as a child. Uh, so... What is there here that we can take from this? What, what is there here that, that we can learn? What are the lessons for us in, in this, you know, third crazy story from the book of Judges? Well, the first thing, and, and this probably rubs some people the wrong way today, but you know what? I'm okay with that because I'm not making it up. It's not my opinion. It's in the Bible, and if you've got a problem with the Bible, take that up with God. But the first lesson that we can take away from this this morning is this. God uses women in mighty ways. This story gives us two great examples of God using women in very powerful ways. Deborah was a what? Prophet. Deborah was a prophet called by God to be a prophet of God. And we see here, not only did God call her to be a prophet, but she was also a very wise and respected leader among God's people. Right? And... and People were coming to her from all around for advice and, and, and for leadership and to help make decisions and help settle disputes. You know, and and she found herself in this role why? Because of the gifts that God had given her, right? Because of the gifts that God had given her, and, and you know the ones like we talked about last week that every single one of us have. Listen, women have access to every spiritual gift that men have access to. The Bible is clear on that. And and that he uses women to build his kingdom. Right? And those of you who have met my wife, for those of you that haven't met my wife, uh, you should. Uh, But if you know her very well, you know that I did not marry a weak and superficial woman. (laughs) Uh, She has more knowledge, more education, more talent, more ability in her pinky than I have in my whole body. Uh, There's just no doubt about that. And some of you know that I jokingly, which she hates, refer to her often as Mother Teresa and or the Holy Spirit. She's my Holy Spirit. God gave me my own personal one because he knew knew I needed extra help. And so he gave me Lynette. A friend of mine called this week. It's kind of funny. Uh, he called and we were talking just a little bit. He said, So what's the Holy Spirit doing these days? And I said, Well, she's cooking my supper right now. And so, uh, but seriously, you know, women have a vital role to play in building the kingdom of God. And so in this church, we recognize that. In this church, you know, our women's ministries here are to help women to become better wives. They're here to help women to become better mothers, if that's the role that God has given you. But we're also passionate about those of you who God has called to become leaders, to be great leaders as well. The Church of the Nazarene, accepts and uh, recognizes the fact that women and men are equal at the foot of the cross. We're all equal in in God's eyes, and, and that God uses women. You can't deny this, that God uses women all throughout the Bible and all throughout the Scripture to teach, to be prophets, and to be leaders. And so I just want to speak directly to the women that are here this morning for just a minute. God has a calling on your life. He has gifted you. And it's not just to sit on the sidelines and make coffee for the fellowships. Right? It's so much more than that. So ask yourself, women, what are my gifts and what is my calling on my life? life? And have you risen up? to obey and to follow that calling. Like Deborah, you need to get in the fight and be used by God because you have an important strength and an important gift that is critical to the body of Christ and to the church. Deborah was a leader of the highest caliber the wisest and most courageous person probably in all of Israel at the time and so we need to reject this idea that God doesn't give women the same gifts as he does to men and there's no distinction of roles within the church I'm praying that the young girls in our church grow up to be Deborah's Right? Deborah's in the home, encouraging their husbands and their families uh, being encouragers to them. Deborah's in ministry, calling people to, to give and calling people to pray and calling people to, to serve our Lord and Savior and leading us in that. And might I just add this morning, we have some incredible Deborahs in our church right now. We're blessed to have some women that are great leaders and have great talents, and they're using them for the glory of God to do the ministry of the church and the will of God. But you know what? We need more Deborahs in the church, and we need more Deborahs in our community and in our world. So whether that makes you uncomfortable or not, That's the first lesson that I believe we have to take away from this story this morning. But there's more. Deborah goes on to write a song. Not only is she awesome, but she's a songwriter. Who knew? And so she goes on to write a song. We find it in chapter 5, the next chapter. So yes, God put the writings of a woman in the Bible. It's in chapter 5. And here we learn our second lesson. When leaders lead... God will be praised. All right, and and so just in summary, there in chapter 5, verse 2, Deborah says, When the princes in Israel take the lead, she also says, When the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. And then in verse 9, my heart is with Israel's princes. It's with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. And then in verse 13, she begins to list the various tribes that had come and gotten in the game. The various tribes that had joined in the fight. But don't miss this. She also mentioned the ones who didn't. Right. Verse fourteen says, "From Ephraim they came." Verse fifteen, "The faithful from, uh, you know, Issachar came." Verse eighteen, "The people of Zebulun risked their lives." But verse seventeen, however, says this: "But the tribe of Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan." And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. Blessed are the ones who step forward in faith to fight. Don't miss that. Blessed are the volunteers. huh? Blessed are those who came forward to join the movement and be a part of what God was doing and what God was wanting to do in and through them. And here's the deal. We've got a lot of people hanging back by the ships when they ought to be in the fight. One scholar said it like this, the greatest temptation is not to do evil. The greatest temptation is to do nothing. We have a lot of people in churches today who are not bad people. They're just hanging back by the ships when they ought to be in the fight. And I don't think it's any accident here when she says in verse number 5, she specifically says, When the princes lead. Princes are men. When the princes lead, men, she's specifically talking about the men here. So yes, women have a significant role to play, but men, listen. I talked to the women directly a while ago, but now I'm speaking directly to you. You have a crucial role to play that no one else can fill. You have a crucial role to play that cannot be filled by anyone else in your family or in the church. And when you fill that role, when you step into the shoes that God ordained you and called you to step into when He created you to be a man, right? When you do that, it brings praise to the Lord, It brings honor and glory to God when you fulfill who God has called you to be as husband, brother, father, man in the church. When you feel that role, it brings praise to a good God when you step forward to lead. Men, listen uh, to these statistics that were taken from a study uh, that was released by Focus on the Family. If a child in a family, if the child is the first person to accept Christ and become a follower of Jesus, there's a 3.5% chance that the rest of the family will become Christian. If the mother is the first to convert, that number rises to 17%. But if it's the father first, that percentage rises to 93%. When the princes lead, the Lord will be praised. And when the princes hang out by the ships, the people will suffer. And we're going to see that here in the third lesson that we get from this story this morning. And it's this. God actually curses those who did nothing. As Deborah lists out the people who sat on the sidelines, we see this in verse 23. Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord. To help the Lord against the mighty. It doesn't say that they did anything bad here, does it? It doesn't say that they did anything bad. It doesn't say they hung out by the ships and smoked dope and raided everyone's tent for munchies while they were going off fighting. You know, I mean, it doesn't say that. They weren't doing bad, it was just that they were doing nothing. They weren't doing bad, they were just doing nothing. Now, I I know you probably get tired of me talking about people who look at the church and, uh, you know, as just some religious event that you have to attend when you don't have anything better to do. And I'm always talking to people who are not involved. And I usually point out, you know, if you're not involved, you're really missing out on a blessing. And, you know, if you're not involved or plugged into the mission of the church, then, you know, you're, you're, you're you know. I, I talk about it all the time. Y'all hear it nearly every week. But don't miss the message in this passage. God cursed this kind of inactivity. He cursed it. Sitting on the sidelines not only will rob you of a blessing, but it puts you under a curse. To to be part of the fight, folks, listen. To be a part of the movement, to be a part of the church, to be a part of the family of God, it means that, yes, you will invest your time. You'll invest your time. You'll invest your talents. You'll invest those gifts that we talked about last week. And, yes, you will even invest... Your treasures to advance the kingdom of God. So don't fool yourself into thinking that you're okay as long as you're not a criminal. (laughs) Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're okay just as long as you're not doing bad and not doing any crimes. There's more than one way to be wicked. and Yes, wickedness can come from what you do, but it also can come from what you fail to do. And what you neglect to do. Jesus didn't say, sit back and watch me closely. He said, come and follow me. Join me in the mission. Join me in the movement. Join me in the fight. And some of you need to do just that. Get in the game, get involved, join the church, find a place to serve. And I'm not saying if you don't join the church, you're going to be cursed. That's not what this is saying. all right? But it does say that there was a curse that came along with not being a part of the movement, not being a part of the fight and sitting back and doing nothing. And so when we do that, we'll start to invest our time, our talents, and our treasures for the kingdom of God and His will and His plan. That brings us to our final lesson this morning. God requires that we simply be obedient. We see a recurring theme all throughout the book of Judges. We saw it last week. We see it again today. God brings down the most powerful enemy. With the least likely people. (laughs) He brings down the most powerful uh, enemy with not so powerful instruments. Last week it was a lefty and a tribe of righties, right? This week it's a housewife with a tent peg. And oh, by the way, she was probably the only one in the house that knew where the hammer was. (laughs) (laughs) That's why God didn't call the man to do it. Number one, the man would have said, oh, we'll do that tomorrow, right? She was the only one that knew where the hammer was. But God brings down the most powerful enemies with not so powerful instruments. And don't miss this. Over and over in the book of Judges and all throughout the Bible, God does his work through our availability, not our ability. He does it through those who are available. I've shared this with you before, and I'm sure you've seen it on church signs before. He doesn't call those that are qualified. He qualifies the ones that he calls. He's looking for someone that will be available and that will be obedient, and he'll take care of all the rest. Verse 24 says... Most blessed of women, be jail. A housewife with a simple tent stake that said, Here I am, use me. You remember back at the beginning of the story when Deborah told Barak that a, a woman would get credit for the defeat of Sisera? Remember that? And in reading that, you think she's talking about herself, right? Because she's a woman. She's the leader of the nation of Israel. And he wants her to go. And so she goes and she says, you know, a woman's going to get credit for this. She wasn't talking about herself. She was talking about a tent lady. Huh? Who was available. And, and, and something else about this, verse 24 there says, Most blessed of women. When, when I see that most blessed it reminds me of another lady in the Bible in the New Testament, Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, and, and, and the angel of the Lord said to her, blessed are you among women. And like I told you in week one of this series, you know, that if we pay attention, the entire book of Judges actually is just pointing us to the coming of Jesus here to this earth. And his arrival to this world came about, and don't miss this, Because a young lady, a young teenage virgin is told that she's going to give birth to a son who will be the savior of the world. And as an unmarried virgin, she has no way of making that happen, right? She doesn't have the ability, there's no way, no how she can make that happen. She can't do it, but who can God can, right? But here's the deal. When 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 the angel comes to Mary and is telling her all of this, Mary knows that you know, I can't do this, but Mary's prayer, don't miss this, was just a simple simple act of obedience. And she said over in the Gospel of Luke, she said, "Be it unto me according to your word." Friends, that's a prayer of surrender. That, that's a prayer of faith. I know I can't do this, but I trust you, God. I have faith in you that you can. It sounds like a crazy plan. The enemy looks so strong and so powerful. You know, I can never defeat that. We can never overcome that. And that's what Mary saw. But Mary just prayed this simple prayer. Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your will. God, I'll do what you say. I'll trust you with the results. It's just simple obedience by us. And that is always, always when you see this throughout Scripture. And even today, that's how God brings salvation to others. That's how God brings salvation to the world is through the simple obedience of often just one. Are you willing to pray, here I am, use me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Are you willing to say, God, I'll give you whatever you tell me to give. I'll serve you wherever you tell me to serve. I'll go where you tell me to go. And I'll trust you because you told me to trust you. And here's, you know, what this story shows us when we do that. This simple act of obedience that he will work out all the details in advance. He'll have it all worked out. He'll put the right people in the right tent, in the right place, at the right time. Right? He'll work all that out because we can't, and you'll see that. He does that to show you, and then he'll show you exactly what it is that he wants you to do, the opportunity and the ministry that's there. And friends, I'm praying that for me. I'm praying that in my life. I'm praying that uh, for your life is just simple obedience because God can use us all to do some great things. Even if just one this morning walked out of here and said, I'll be available and I'll be obedient. There is no telling what God could do in and through you and what the future might look like if you would just simply be available and obedient. You know, on, on later at the end of this story, it goes on to tell us that after uh, Cicero was defeated and all this took place, that Israel experienced after that, because of that victory, they experienced 40 years of peace. And it all hinged on tent lady the future an awesome future the next 40 years could very well be determined by your simple act of obedience or your act of disobedience think about it the impact that can be made by one God can use us all to do some great and mighty and powerful things to build his kingdom. And will you join him in saying, will you join Mary in saying, will you join Deborah and, and Baal in saying, be it unto me according to your plan, according to your word, according to your will. A simple act of obedience can be the gateway to a mighty work of God. And I'm glad you're here this morning because we're going to celebrate with a couple of young men who are modeling for us some very young men who are modeling for some adults this morning exactly what it means to simply be obedience and what that looks like. And this morning they're coming today as a simple act of obedience to be baptized because the scripture is clear and they will tell you themselves The Bible says, repent and be baptized. Be saved and be baptized. And so this morning, we want to celebrate and we want to praise the Lord for His mighty work in their simple obedience this morning. If you give me just a second, I'm going to get back there and join those guys. Both of these guys are so excited to be making this profession, public profession of their faith this morning. And so who's going first, AJ? AJ, come join me. AJ Bohannon. I gave you a statistic earlier about uh, the father becoming a, a Christian and the percentage of the family that will follow that. And it's been my privilege to, in just the last few months, to baptize Michael Burgess, Laurie Burgess, A.J.'s mom, and now A.J. comes and has made a profession of his faith in Christ and has accepted Christ into his heart and uh, wants to be baptized uh, as a step of obedience to what God's Word tells us. So, A.J., this morning, let me ask you, have you accepted Christ into your heart? All right, then it's my awesome privilege to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Good job. Come on, Ian. Join me down here. This is Ian McNabb. Ian, just have a seat right there. Ian and his family came and talked to me about Ian had accepted Christ and they were worried that he might be too young and I talked to him and they talked to him and I'm going to tell you what, this guy knows more about what it means to be saved than most adults. And I believe with all my heart that Ian has accepted Christ and he's asked him to come into his heart and to forgive him of his sins. And he knows that if he makes a mistake or messes up in the future, that all he needs to do is go to God and ask God to forgive him again. And that grace is sufficient. Ian, this morning, it's my honor to baptize you. And let me just ask you this morning, just to make sure, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, amen, then it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Praise goes to the Lord. Amen. Well, this morning, before we go, let me have a word of prayer with you. Dear God, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us. And I thank you for this reminder in your word today. God, that it's, it's about simply being obedient to what you've called us to do. And what you have called us to do is to go and make disciples it's even more important what we do outside this building as a church than what we do in here as a church, even though this is so special and you tell us to gather together and do this. But God, we're going we're to leave this place where we're going to run into more challenges, more obstacles, and more opposition. But God, we know that you're out there already at work, moving people where they need to be moved, creating the situations just the way that they need to be created so that we can bring the salvation message to the world. And so we may not have all the answers. We may not know the plan. We may not even know what to do. But God, I pray that every single one of us would pray today that we just simply want to be obedient and be available to what you want to do. Because when we do that, when we make ourselves available, say, here I am, use me then you will and you'll bring it all together and put it together and it'll blow our minds what you do in our lives and through us if we'll just be available. Dear God, but there's a a stern message in here today about not being available and not being obedient and not getting in the game and being a part of the movement, a part of the fight. There's, There's a strong warning there in that story today and so today maybe you're speaking to some hearts about that. And there's some new commitments that need to be made. Not only to the church. But there's some new commitments that need to be made in the home. And to the family. To the spouse. To the kids. And God, we trust you with the results. And we trust you with what you're doing. And God, I continue to pray for our church. And you have blessed us so much. over The past 115 years this church has been at this location. But God... You're not finished with us yet because we're still here. And so, God, use us, show us how we can best minister to those around us and be effective in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world that we live in today. God, not only our church, but I pray for the other churches that are gathered this morning that are gathered this week proclaiming the name of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, and it doesn't matter what the name is on the door. But God, I pray that you would also use them to build your kingdom, that they would be obedient, they would be faithful. Because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ trying to accomplish the same goal, and that's to make Christ like disciples. And so God, as we go from this place, God, use us. Thank you for the privilege of wanting to use us and the honor of recognizing that you've given us the gifts to do what you want us to accomplish. And so I pray that we'd look for those opportunities even as we walk out the door this morning. And we'll be so very careful that you get all the praise and you get all the glory. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have a great week.